0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to talk uh, about the, um, the Hebrew letters, um, some of the shapes of the letters, and the interrelationship between um, a couple of key words, uh, vahaya and vayahi, and um, how all of this uh, kind of comes together in terms of mapping out the, the worlds and, um, and uh, really we'll We'll talk about like transformations in behavior that we can see hinted at in terms of the letters and the shapes and and constructions of the letters um, and just as a a note of introduction our our holy tradition is that God created the world from from the the letters out of the Hebrew letters, and that's sort of an endlessly deep teaching um, but but maybe just to introduce it so that we have some, some just framework as we get very, very specific in terms of the letters themselves in a moment, just to understand that, that a simple way of understanding this idea is that, is that each of the letters represents a different type of energy wavelength and that God combined all these energies in very specific ways in order to create this, this universe, which is vastly complex, but at the same time really harmonious, Um, you know, we we tend to view the the universe to, I think, our great detriment as a very chaotic place. Um, And I think that there's certainly reason to do that because in terms of um, interpersonal experiences, um, things are so uh, chaotic, you know, and and unpredictable. And people are always acting and surprising and often... um, destructive in negative ways. And so so we tend to project that experience, that personal experience, onto the universe itself. But if you actually look at the physical construction of the universe, a table remains a table. A chair remains a chair. A tree remains a tree. Stars remain stars until they eventually blow up or whatever it is. But in terms of the physical universe itself, there's great structure to it and great consistency to it. And we should really appreciate the fact that we actually inhabit a pretty stable environment. And so so I bring that up because when I tell you that God combined all these energies harmoniously to create this universe, that that's, that's really a true statement. And that what we're trying to do is in terms of our own interpersonal behavior, is to get ourselves into this harmonious state so that we're in harmony not only with ourselves, but with each other, and also the universe itself. And that will complete this aspect of harmony. You know, I, I always... And then there will be tremendous revelation, because then there will be nothing blocking the revelation of God's oneness from being coming manifest, because there will be great peace. And this is our job right now to figure out how we can exist harmoniously with each other and with the universe itself. And that is the essence of what Torah is. That's the essence of what halacha is. Remember, halacha, which is translated somewhat tragically as Jewish law, really means the way or the flow, if you will. There's a very Eastern kind of like feel to it that gets lost because it's so detailed. But, but, but keep in mind that, that just like planets and, and stars have incredibly exact orbit, and so they don't bump into each other, right? Because there are literally trillions, trillions more, more heavenly bodies than grains of sand in the world. Do you, do you understand how crazy that is? And that most of these planetary bodies are way bigger than Earth and there are more of them than grains of sand in the world, okay? Why don't they crash into each other? It's why. Now, occasionally they do. But if they do, then once they do, why doesn't it trigger a domino effect where they're all crashing into each other, right? It, It makes it actually, the question, even stronger. You say, well, they don't crash into each other. No, they crash into each other, and the order remains exact. That's actually an even greater revelation of God's exactness in terms of the choreography of the physical universe. But what I'm trying to say is, is that just like all these trillions of heavenly bodies all exactly correspond to this orbit, that's the idea of halacha, which means the way or, or, or the way to walk or, 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 or the flow. Because each one of us, if we follow halacha, we get in harmony with each other and we don't crash into each other. I don't crash into your money. I don't crash into your wife. Right? This is a way to harmonize interpersonal relationships. And once you do it, you clarify all the anger in the world. You see, I heard Reb Shlomo say in the name of Rebbe Nachman that a person should be able to hear the sound of a monkey in China. Those are the words he said. When you hear a monkey in China, you don't quickly forget that, right? So, so but but there's so much anger in the world that it it blocks everything. See, you see, we have to understand that anger is not just, oh, I'm angry at you. There's it's jamming the radar in the world, all of the anger. It's an energy which is blocking things. See, that's a that's a very deep idea. It's a very deep idea because we don't tend to to think that emotions have a a physicality to them. But, 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 But they do, you know. Why do words hurt? Words shouldn't hurt. I didn't touch you. I just called you a horrible name. But I didn't touch you. So why does it hurt so much? Because that emotion has a physical reality to it, which is weighing on you and is impacting you. And that, just like it's impacting you and you feel the force of it on your on your body, so it exists and has a presence in this world. Remember, in Hebrew, right, which is the blueprint for everything, not just the, not just the body of something, but the soul of something, the word devar means word, but devar also means thing, because words are things. And don't be one of these people who say, Oh, you know, I just said so-and-so. It's not like I I hit you or I did anything to you. I just said what I was thinking. You know what? Reb Shlomo used to refer to that as someone having a truth attack. You know what I mean? Save your truth attack. You know, you you want to tell me really what you think about me? You know what? Maybe another time. (laughs) Uh, Right now, I'm not interested. You know, it's like... And don't think because, but I want to speak the truth. So therefore, oh, because I want to speak the truth, right? But remember, the example I always think of, if your elderly grandmother gives you a bowl of soup and it tastes terrible, and you taste it, and she says, how is it? The answer is delicious. (laughs) There's only one answer to that question. It's delicious. You say, ah, but it's not the truth. No, that is the truth. Because we're not just talking about soup right now. We're talking about a relationship with, between someone who loves you and cares about you and who has done something for you and wants you to know. Do you think she's really asking you about the soup? She's saying to you, do you love me? Or do you know how much I love you? That's what the conversation is. No one's talking about soup. Okay, so the word soup is being used. But have a brain in your head. <laughs> understand, understand on a deeper level what conversation is actually taking place. There's a famous story, I I believe it was the Beis Halevi, who was in Shul and it was before Pesach, and someone raised their hand and said, Can I fulfill the um, mitzvah of having four cups of wine with milk? Right? And afterwards, he invited him, the, the, the rabbi invited him to his house for the Pesach Seder. And then someone said, How did you know that he didn't have a place? He said, because if he asked such a question, he obviously didn't have any money for wine. So if he doesn't have any money for wine, how can he have money for for the whole meal? So that's why I asked him. In other words, he understood from that question where the person was holding. So a person has to have a level of sensitivity to understand the words behind the words. Okay? This, This is what it is. And by the way, sometimes you'll get it right, and sometimes you'll get it wrong. You know, sometimes a person can be overly sensitive. You know, so just to put it in check, but in, in, in context. But anyway, the point is, we want to talk about some words here. And the point is that, that God created the world through speech. And we know, again, just this are all introductions to what we're going to be learning. But, but just for you to understand the power of speech and how deep this idea is that God created the world through speech. Because speech creates perception. And the example that I, that I always think of is that if, if someone who looks very disheveled or maybe homeless kind of like, kind of is sitting in the corner and, and, and looks like you don't even want to approach the person, right? Because it's like, you know, and if I, if I tell you, you know, that person, that person is a multi-multi-millionaire. You'll look at him like, oh, you know, I thought he was homeless, but I see he's a genius. Yeah. Right? You'll look at the exact same guy and you'll say, oh, he's so like he's an eccentric genius. You know? So you will behave toward him differently based on the words that you heard about the person. So words create. Words create reality. Okay? So when so when the the sages say that God created the world through speech. It doesn't mean God has a mouth. You know, like I, I tell my kids, God doesn't have a body. God creates bodies, right? God is beyond that. He's way beyond that. So when, we, when the rabbis use languages, uh, language like this, it's just to give us an idea. Often we say kaviochol, meaning to say, meaning to say, you know, but not, not really that. And, you know, I can't mention this teaching without telling you what Reb Shlomo said, that God didn't just speak the world into creation, he sang the world into creation. And I saw a a, a, a beautiful, a beautiful um, uh, source for that, which is from the Tikkuni Zohar, that the word breishis, which means with beginnings, right? Or often translated as in the beginning, the first word of the whole Torah, which is a microcosm for the whole Torah, the word breishis. Right, So, so Breshis, the Tikkuni Zohar says that if you rearrange the letter using all the letters of Breshi, it spells Shirat Aleph Beis, meaning the song of the Aleph Beis, the song of the alphabet. Um, and we know that, that Hebrew was the original language. You, know, you, you can hear like, just the idea that Aleph Beis right, is in English, Alphabet. Aleph, base, Alpha, Bet. And we have A and B in, in English. We have Aleph and bet in Hebrew. And if you think of Greek, right? Alpha, Beta. Aleph, Bet. It's everything comes from Hebrew. Hebrew is the source of everything. And of course, God, as we were saying, created the world from the letters themselves. Okay? Now... Specifically, it says in the Gomorrah Menachos with the letters Yud and He. With the letters Yud and He. And we're going to get into the relationship between the letters Yud and He in a moment. It's very, very deep. It's very, very deep. And let me just, before I go further, let me just tell you something. I've, I've, I've recommended a, a book about the letters. This is more, it, it's, it's, it's one of the best books in the world, but I'm going to recommend a second book. But, but as a more introductory level, this book, the Wisdom, of the, uh, the, the Wisdom in the Hebrew Alphabet, by Rabbi Michael L. Monk. Okay, that's an art scroll book. This is a must to have in every single library. You can't not have this book. This is an essential book. But if you want to go even deeper than that, there's the Hebrew letters, Channels of Creative Consciousness, by Rabbi Yitzchak Ginsberg. And that's crazy deep, right? That's like off the charts deep, okay? And even these things are just tastes of really, of really of the infinite, you know? So, so anyway, these are just recommendations. So, so the words that I want to explore, and um, we touched on this a little bit yesterday, but we're going to go into more depth today, okay? These are, um, these are uh, uh, the, the words, um, Vahaya and "vayahi." Okay, so the, the Gomorrah uh, in Megillah, on page 10, Yud, appropriately enough, um, talks about the difference between Vahaya and Vayahi. Now, the reason why we're discussing Vahaya right now is, in Parsha Sa'ekhev, which we just read, Vahaya is the first word of that, of that, uh, of that Parsha. And Vahaya means something good is going to happen, something very positive. Okay. And, and it's very beautiful because it's coming at a time in the year where we've shifted energies from Tishabov, which is the saddest day of the year, and we've gone right from Tishabov B'Av to Tuba'av, which is one of the happiest days of the year, and now we're continuing with that forward, happy, positive momentum with Parsha cave starting with the word Vahaya, which means good things are happening. And by the way, something just very uh, amazing, I think, is that, you know, every month of the year has a different combination of the Yudke-Vavke. There are 12 different ways to arrange the letters Yudke-Vavke and 12 months of the year. So each month of the year has a different permutation of the Yudke-Vavke. And it signals what, it's a blueprint for the energy going on at that time of of the year. So interestingly, every once in a while we'll spell a word, usually it doesn't spell a word, by the way, but every once in a while, we'll actually spell a word. So the the the, the permutation, they call it in Hebrew, tsiruf. that tsiruf for Tishrei, which is the new year, that's when the new din is coming down, the new judgment for the year is coming down in Tishrei, the combination is vav, hey, yud, and hey, which spells vahaya, which is actually, I think, such a, Beautiful expression of optimism. You know that this new year is coming in, and the combination of letters of Hashem's holiest name spells out the word Vahya, which I just told you in Gomorrah Megillah says means something positive is going to happen. So so that's that's beautiful because it means that you know what? You can tell me you had the worst year in your in your life, right? I hope not. But 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 you know what that means, that you had the worst year in your life? You got another year of life. (laughs) In other words, even at its most base level, even at its most base level, the fact that you open up your eyes, thank God. Thank God for that. And then, of course, all the other wonderful things that we want to happen. But there's an expression of hope and positivity in the actual combination in Tishrei, which is, I think, um, should give us a lot of strength that the future holds good things. That's our religion's point of view. Because at that point, the, new, the light for the new year is coming down, and it means that there's an expression that the new year, that the future holds good things. And that's being expressed in that, in that teaching. So vahaya means good things. Vayahi, not so much. Right? Like Reb Shlomo, when it would come to discussing the new year, he'd say there's the book of life, and the Book of Not-So-Much. He wouldn't like to say, say the word itself. So, Vayahi signals something negative happening. And by the way, the Gomorrah like, really battles over this word Vayahi. And in the end, they come to the conclusion that when it says Vayahi Bemeh, so it happened in the days of and then they list like the beginning of the Megillah and all these different places, that that's ironclad. When you have a vayahi, and the next word is bime, in the days of, then that's for sure no good, right? But just vayahi by itself, it's not great, but it's not always terrible. Okay, so just just so you know. So that's the conclusion they come to. So, So I looked at these two words, and something occurred to me which is that both of these words contain all the letters of Hashem's holiest name, the Yud vovke. Vav ke. They're both composed completely, 100% out of these letters. They have a Yud, a hey, and a Vav. Right? So why would it be that one thing portends something positive and one thing portends something negative? And so then I looked closer at the words themselves. And I noticed that the word Vahaya, which means something positive, that has all of the letters of Hashem's name. It has a vav, a yud, and two hay's. That's the exact name of God, just arranged differently. So that's something positive. And I notice vayyehi, which means something negative. That while it has the letters of Hashem's name, there's a very critical difference. It has two yuds and one hay. Okay. So how are we? And we're going to go much more deeply into this. Okay. So. How how are we to understand this? So, so the the fact we have to know two things. One, when we're talking about the letter yud, we're talking about the highest emanations of light. Like when you think of Hashem's name, and again, whenever you whenever we talk about this name of God, um, I sometimes I refer to it as the vav vavke. Other times I'll say Yud-in-hei and he and vavinhe. The reason why I say that is because I don't even want to spell it out when I speak it. So when I say the word and, that's in order to make a separation so that I'm not actually spelling the name of God. I just want you to know that's, that's not, I'm not just like stammering, okay? That's, that's on purpose. <laughs> Sometimes when you see it written, they'll write the word, the name of God, and they'll put dashes in between the letters. Some people even write the word God, G-D, Right? Not everyone says you have to do that, by the way. But but the idea is that you don't want to be spelling out God's name. Now, I'll tell you something, an amazing Gomorrah. It's an amazing, amazing Gomorrah. Listen to this. You see, once you write the name of God, you're not supposed to erase it. So, so there's, there's the rabbis, especially in the Gomorrah, they're thinking about every aspect of everything, every possibility of everything analyzing things from every different angle. <clears throat> this is why Jewish people are so smart, by the way. One of the reasons is because we've been trained from the very, from, 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 for generations, for thousands of years, to analyze everything from every different angle because that's how, that's how Torah study works. That's how the Gomorrah works so that we then bring those analytical skills to the business world, to the economic world, to the interpersonal world, because we've been conditioned to think in this highly analytic way from the, from, for, for, for thousands of years, okay? So the rabbis asked themselves this question. They said, look, if you write out the name of God, the holiest name of God, and we've got to write it all the time for Torah scrolls, for mezuzahs, for tefillin, we have to write it all the time. So, so listen to this problem that they realized. If you write Yud, and then you write hey, you've spelled out a name of God. That is the name of God. Yud and Hey is the name of God, okay? Then if you write the letter Vav, because you're trying to write out the name of God, so Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, right? So you write Yud and He, and now you've written a name of God. Now you write the letter Vav. Well, Yud, Hey Vav is not a name of God. So what you've just done in, in writing the name of God, you have erased a name of God. <laughs> Does everyone hear the problem? This seems, if you think about it, pretty intractable, because how can you write the name of God without erasing the name of God? So the Gomorrah talks about the Gomorrah talks about that there was someone, and apparently this is like a wild skill, okay? This was, is this was not like a, a normal thing. There was someone in the time in Gomorrah times who could hold four different pens in his hand simultaneously and simultaneously write at the same time the letters Yud and He and Vav and He all at the same time, holding four different pens at once. And that's how he avoided the problem. But not everyone has that ability. So I guess there must be some leniency that they say, okay, look, if you're writing the name of God anyway, we'll we'll let you slide on that Vav, you know? But just to think that someone trained themselves in this amazing way to avoid this problem. A very beautiful thing because these are acts of tremendous reverence. That's the point. You know what I mean? It's not just like he learned how to juggle or something like that. He was trying to serve God more beautifully and and developed this unbelievable talent in order to be able to do it. Um, Okay. So... So let's get back to the problem. Vahaya, which means something good, has all the letters of Hashem's name, the right number of the right letters and everything is good. The letter Yud means the highest emanation of light because we want to always picture the name of God starting with like a ladder. Yud on top, bless you. Yud and then Hey below the Yud and then Vav below that and then the bottom He. And of course the bottom He stands for this world. Okay? Olamasia, the world of action. This world, this dimension that we're in right now is called the world of action. And that correlates with the bottom hay. And that's very important to understanding Judaism, by the way. Because we, nice words are good, but we're into actions. And and God's name, actually, and we're going to get to this later, God willing, God's name is actually a verb. It's, It's actually a verb. Because action is the bottom line. You can say nice things and, you know, mazel tov, whatever. But we, we want you to enact them. That's why there's so much halakha. Because the point is not the talking, the point is the doing. And so all ideas have to translate into action. That's, that's, that's Judaism. Okay? So, so again... Yud is the highest emanation of light. Now what about hay? He? he is a vessel. A vessel is something that holds something, okay? And then, and now again if we revisit the, the name of God, and this is a again a, a blueprint for the universe, right? You have yud, and underneath that yud you have hay. So that hay, says Rabzada Kakoin, stands for the next world. Okay? Because that hay is a vessel, and it's closest to the yud. So if you think about it, that's amazing. It's it's holding that direct light from the Yud. So it makes sense that 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 hay, that vessel, represents the world to come because that's a very direct, beautiful relationship. Okay, But we have Yud and then that hay and then the letter Vav. Vav is a straight line that's drawing down the energy to the bottom hay. That's this world. That's this vessel. So in other words, this world is a vessel and all of that light is coming down in steps, like through tzimtzum, through contraction. All that light, all that energy is coming down to that bottom vessel, that bottom hay, which is this world. Okay. So now with this in mind, we can revisit the word Vayahi and see why this portends something not so good. Okay. Because while it has all the letters of Hashem's name, it has two yuds and only one hay. In other words, it has these two phenomenal beacons of light, these two nuclear reactors of light, right? And only one vessel to hold the light. It's not enough. Now, let's take this to the next step and you'll understand that this is answering a very big theological, philosophical question. We know that God is good. And yet at the same time, we know that we have so many hard times. And we know on a deeper level that whatever happens is for the good, but then why is it painful? Right? So so the answer is that during those vayahi moments in our life where it's painful, the light is shining so bright, but we don't have the vessels to hold the light at those moments in our life. Whatever it is, we're not able to receive at that moment in our life, the good that's being emanated because it's too strong and we're not set up. Our infrastructure is not developed enough. Maybe through no fault of our own or perhaps through our own mismanagement of our own lives that we don't have the proper infrastructure in place. I don't know. Every situation is going to be different. But whatever it is, the bottom line is there's a lot of light but we don't have the vessels to hold the light. So that's vayahi. That's coming to explain how it is that this thing, which portends negative times, can be composed out of the name of God, and we know God is good, and yet something negative is happening because there's too much light to hold on to at that point. We don't have the vessels at that point in our life to hold on to the light. Okay. Now, I want to go deeper. Okay. And again, just to contrast it with vahaya, vahaya has all the letters. It has one yud and two heys. That means something good. There's that one point of light, but again, we've got two vessels to hold it. See, if you need two vessels to hold, to hold that one point of light, you see how problematic it is if you have two yuds and only one vessel. Right? You see you see by comparison how, 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 how off-kilter the word vahaya is in terms of the energy dynamics of it, okay? All right, now I wanna go deeper. Again, let's imagine the name, this word top to bottom, okay? And remember, Yud is a point of light and He is a vessel. And in the proper balanced construct, you have the vessel on the bottom, right? Like, you know, with Vahaya, you have a vessel on the bottom, that's something good. With the name of Hashem, Yud and hay and vav and hay. You have the vessel on the bottom. That's very good. It's all good. Okay, now let's look at the word vayahi. Okay? Let's go top to bottom. You've got the vav, the yud, the hay, and then the bottom one is the yud. Now, the yud doesn't even touch the ground. When you write the letter yud, it's the only letter that doesn't go and all the way to the bottom of the line, it's just floating. And so what I think there is, and this is my analysis, but I think what you have there is a very problematic spiritual construct for a person. You see, the letters, like for instance, there's a very famous teaching when we contrast the word emet, which means truth, and sheker, which means falsehood and the rabbis point out many, 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 many things. There are many teachings on this, but I'm just going to give you something very simple just so that we can get back to the Vaihi. is that emet, each one of those letters has two feet. The aleph has two feet. In other words, it's very solidly connected to the ground. Mem, two feet, very solidly connected to the ground. Taf, two feet, solidly connected to the ground. Emet, Truth is solid. Sheker, which means falsehood, the shin in the, in the official construct, you know, the, 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 the official way of writing the shin, it boils down to one point. Okay? Kuf, one point. The bottom of the kuf is just one point. Resh, one point, one foot. So sheker, which means falsehood, is all balancing on one foot. And it can be pushed over at any time, right? Because falsehood, all there is is truth, really. Falsehood is a garment which covers the truth in this world. And the time will come where it will be the simplest thing for God in the world to just topple it over, you know? Just, you just topple it over. Sometimes it's so easy have you ever had an experience where it was so easy to catch someone <laughs> in something? <laughs> Some people are hard to catch. Other people. I'll tell you a story. This is one of my favorite stories. I, I never shared this with you. So, so when I was an elevator man, so during college, so I, you know, I I went to Harvard, but but uh, at the end of my freshman year, uh, my uh, classmates were were were. Uh, talking about their summer vacations, and they were all doing, like, very um, fancy things, like going to Asia or working at banks, things like this. So I didn't even consider, like, I had to do something for the summer break, you know. So I called my mother, and she said, well, you can be an elevator man in the building. And I was like, well, that sounds good. And she said, should I ask the superintendent? And I said, yeah. So she calls me back and says, you got the job. I was like, all right. So so I actually spent all four summers... As an elevator man in my building on Seventy and Broadway, okay, and it's actually there that I became a writer, believe it or not, because I started reading like Dostoevsky and you know John Barth and Nabokov, all, all these great writers, and I just like decided I, I, I wanted to be a writer, you know. So, so it actually changed my life being an elevator man. But anyway, the point that I'm bringing up is that I, uh, I, one. One day a week, I would work what they would call the graveyard shift, which is from basically midnight to around 6 in the morning, approximately. And um, there wasn't much activity in the building, so instead of being on the elevator, you would be at the, the, the front. There was, it was a very large building, and there was a gate in front, and so I'd be in the gatehouse there. And um, there was one of the workers in the bu- building, one of the, on the custodial staff, was a guy named Nestor, and he was from Ecuador, and um, he was a big guy, and he never spoke and He sort of reminded me of if you remember um uh, one flew over the cuckoo 's nest of the chief character right so i 'm sitting next to him, and it 's about three in the morning or something like this, and really the job, if you work the graveyard shift the the primary job was they were paying you just to stay awake, <laughs> which was actually very hard to do, so it was actually you know it was a hard job actually so so i you know, just would wrestle to keep my eyes open, and um, and and I, I remember I'm sitting next to Nestor, this big, dark-skinned guy from Ecuador, you know, who was much older than I was, and then he said, I think it may have been the first thing he ever said to me, in the middle of the night, he said, "You know, your next-door neighbor works for the CIA." <laughs> 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 I was like R- really, <laughs> you know, and. And so he said, "Yeah, you know, she's doing um, land reform in El Salvador." And I was thinking, "Yeah, you know, El Salvador is like a real hot spot. And what's the whole thing in El Salvador? Like the people want the land back." And yeah, so if that would be like a that would be a cover for an American agent to be doing land reform, because that's getting into the, all the issues of what the the war is going on right there. So I thought, "Oh, yeah, that's kind of interesting." And 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 this person was usually away. You know. One time I got locked out of my apartment that summer and so I was sitting on the floor outside my door and just waiting for a family member to show up with a key. And this person walks up and they say, Would you like to wait in my apartment? And I said, All right, you know, so 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 I'm I'm sitting in the apartment and they say to me, So um so what would you like to do when you get older, like professionally? And I said, I, I saw this opportunity and I said I said, well, you know, I'd really like to work for the CIA. I think it would be really, <laughs> I said, I think it would be really fun. And they said, Oh, it is. I mean it must be. <laughs> and I thought, was it did I just out a CIA agent? Was it really that easy? <laughs> Is that, did that just happen? And uh, so, so with the word sheker, falsehood, you know, it stands on one leg, and it can be pushed over at at any time, at, at any moment, at any moment, because it doesn't have the, the legs to stand on. So again, let's get back to um, this word vayihi. So vayihi has this problem, and... You're well acquainted with it by now. It doesn't have the vessels to hold all the light. And again, when we made the diagram of it, we showed you it's to spell Vahi top to bottom, right? Just picture the spelling of this. You have the vav on top, and then the yud, and then the he, and then on the bottom you have this yud. So this yud, if we just said that truth is so great because they all all those letters have two legs, and that sheker. Is a problem because it only has one leg. This letter Yud doesn't have any legs because it's just floating. But that's 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 part of the aspect of the greatness of the letter Yud, because it really represents utmost spirituality and godliness. Right? So 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 that's why it's floating. But but as a foundation, it's not a foundation. Do you understand? Hey, the, the letter hey has two legs. You doesn't have any legs. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. If you want to, again, if you want to create a healthy, spiritual, balanced life, right? What is the Torah ideal for a healthy, balanced, spiritual life? So Rabbi Shlomo said it very succinctly. You have to have your feet, plural, your feet on the ground, and your heads in the cloud. Right? Your head in the clouds. And that's, he said, the hardest thing to do in the world. Because most people know that the people who are super grounded in this world and really have their feet on the ground, right, tend to be like, you know, bean counters, right? They're, they're, they're the people who are, tend to be very less creative, and their head is not in the clouds. And the people whose heads are in the cloud, they can't pay their rent. You know, their feet are not on the ground. So to be one of these people who you have your feet on the ground, and you're being very responsible and very interpersonally sensitive, but at the same time your head is in the clouds, you're able to really delve into deep spiritual ideas by at the same time being a productive member of society. This is the ideal. This is the ideal, okay? Now, vayahi, we said, portends something negative. So this is, for a person, this portends something negative if you don't have any grounding in your life. And, and it just boils down to this floating yud. <laughs> and you're trying, can you build a house without a first floor? Can you, can you, okay, you know what? I want a two-story house, but you know what? I don't want the bottom floor, <laughs> good luck. How do you do that? Or if you do that, you know how it ends? Terribly. <laughs> so if you're grounding, if, 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 your, if your spiritual life boils down to this yud, which is supporting everything else, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for you. It just isn't. Okay, so now let's go to the next step deeper. Okay? So what would we like to do? What would be the Home run scenario here. The best case scenario. Well, Vayahi, we said, is problematic because it has two yuds and one hay. And really, what it should have, ideally, like Vahaya or the name of Hashem, it should have two hays and one yud. Well, what if we were able to turn that bottom yud into a hay? If we turn that bottom yud into a hay, then we have in Vayahi, all of a sudden, Vayahi becomes. It transforms from the bad to the good. Because, because if you can change the last yud of vayahi into a hay, then you're back to our energy balance situation. One yud, one source of light, and two vessels, two hays. But how do you turn that bottom yud into a hay? Okay, so now listen to this. And and in both of the books that I had mentioned, um, they discuss they discuss the construct of the letter he. Now the letter he is actually composed of two letters. Okay? The letter he is the letter dalid and the letter yud. Okay? No, not, not Resh, not Resh, Dalet. It's the letter Dalet and the letter Yud. Okay? And there's a lot of Torah on this. And I'm just going to give you just a tiny taste. It's much, much deeper than what I'm telling you, okay? So, 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 so the way to transform that bottom Yud, of Vayahi, and to turn it into a He, is to be able to add this Dalet. Right? Because Dalid plus Yud equals, that's what makes the letter He. Okay, so how does this work exactly? So the Maharal, one of our greatest rabbis, discusses this, discusses this very point. And he says that the letter He, it's this Dalid and this Yud. Now Dalet is the number four. The number four represents north, south, east, and west, all directions, okay? Now, you know, in the upper dimensions, you don't have anything like north, south, east, and west. It's it's beyond that. So, this dimensionality is something which is inherent to this dimension, okay? Okay? And so, what you have here with the letter Dalid, and of course when we say Shema, we say Shema Yisrael, Shema Lokenu, Shema Echad, and we pronounce the Dalet, and in the Torah scroll itself, the Dalet is big. Okay? And that means that in every direction, God is God. And remember, Dalet is not just the four directions. Dalet also stands for Kabbalistically the four worlds. Right? So, so, which also is an aspect of dimensionality because even the four worlds, even the highest of the four worlds is already putting some kind of physical parameters on, the, on this utmost energy of creation. Remember, God doesn't exist in the highest, the fourth dimension. God is dimensions beyond that even. Remember always, when we even talk about the name of God, that's not the world. That's just this physical Manifestation of the universe. God exists dimensions beyond that, right? We never want to put parameters on God because God is infinite. Okay? So now, what we have here is you're grounding your spirituality. That's the idea of turning the yud into a hay by adding the dalit. If you, you know, have you ever, like, talked to someone who's spacing out and you say, hey, be here, right? What you're doing at that moment is you're adding a dolid to their consciousness. You're grounding them to the here and now, to the four directions that exist here. Or if you want to think more expansively, to already the four levels of the four worlds, kabbalistically speaking. But that's already putting parameters on their consciousness, which has just flown away. Okay, you're grounding them. So that's that is the ideal construct. And that's how we can turn Vayahi into vahaya. By taking that spirituality which has run amok and grounding it with the four directions and giving people a sensitivity of where they are in their lives, who the important people and the important responsibilities in their lives are to, and to be able to direct them in the here and now. And then you've transformed vayihi to vahaya. Okay. By grounding your spirituality. And now you're not just this floating yud on the bottom. That's now that yud now becomes the second leg to the Dalit and forms a he. Okay? And now just to tell you that Gomorrah Minachus, which I mentioned earlier, that it says that God created this world with the letters yud and he. So so it's You've got the yud, and you've got the yud of the hay in there, and that's, that's for another talk, but just to give you something to scratch your head over for now. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, now I want to go, I think, um, deeper than that. So, so, so one of my favorite teachings, and this is from the Jikovarebi, and I, I looked it up uh, last night. He was the grandson of the Ropshitzer Rebbe, there were, there were um, the, the, the Ropshitzer had uh, four sons and they, they all became Rebbis. And then uh, one of them became the Jikover Rebbe. And then he had a son who was also the Jikover Rebbe. And that line continued. But the one that I'm talking about right now is the grandson of the Ropshitzer Rebbe. And of course, the Ropshitzer Rebbe was one of the great students of um, Rebele Melech of Luzhensk. And he was a contemporary, the Ropshitzer of the Chos of Lublin and the Rimonover Rebbe, so he was in the company of the the, 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 the greatest rebbe's. Okay, so this is the Schitzer's grandson, and he's also known, maybe better known, by the name of his sefer, which is which is um, uh, the Imre Noam. So, if you want to get the Jikover Rebbe's sefer, it's the Imre Noam. And to just tell you how just crazy these things are, I just look, I, I, I Googled Imre Noam, or I, I I Googled Jikover, right? Now now you know whenever you're translating English Polish into English, you know, you get crazy combinations of C, Y, Z, C, E, like, like the simplest words have like these nutty you know strings of consonants. So how do you think you spell Jikov if you want to look it up? D, as in David, Z, I K-O-V. So D Z is, is J. Okay, so that's Jikov is D Z I K O V I K O V. yeah. So anyway, that, that took some research. But once you get that, then then things start to open up to you. But just to tell you what's what's available and, and Google and eBay, so I put in with the spelling with the D, I put in Jikov, and there's a link to eBay. eBay, right? Like, what's eBay's connection to the (laughs) Rebbe, right? Well, right now you can buy the first edition of the Imre Noam on eBay (laughs) from the 1880s. The Jacober Rebbe said, "The first edition of the Jacober Rebbe is right now available on eBay. <laughs> Amazing! They were, the starting bid was five hundred dollars, and I think it was just one volume, by the way. I wasn't sure, but um, and it was from something like eighteen eighty-three, something like that. Um, but anyway, the Jacober Rebbe, Rebbe it was one of the phenomenal masters of gematria, and in fact, um, Rabbi Wolfson." who is our probably our greatest contemporary gematria master, also Rabbi uh, Ginsberg, by the way, who wrote the, the Hebrew alphabet book that I mentioned, is, is another of our greatest. But um, there is a gematria that I mentioned probably three dozen times in the name of Rabbi Wolfson, which is that that the gematria of Rosh Hashanah is the same as Beis Migdash. And there's a, so many teachings that come from that. So Rabbi Wolfson was actually quoting the Imre Noam, the Jacober Rebbe. So, so eight sixty one. So, just to give you a, uh, just to give you a, a taste of the greatness of the Jacober Rebbe, that's, um, that's, uh, you know, all the contemporary rebbe's look to him for, for, for his insights, especially, in in Gemachi and other things as well. But anyway, so let me just tell you a, a phenomenal teaching. I heard this from Rabbi um, Weinberger at the ish Kodesh. Uh, uh, Institute in uh Long Island, so this is from the Jikover Rebbe, and it's 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 um continuing with this word um with these words that we've been learning okay so 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 we have a very strong teaching it's at the end of Parshas um Beshalach, and if you want to see it with your own eyes it's uh it's really the, the, the very last Pusuk of Parshas B'Shelach. It's uh, chapter 17, um, verse uh, 16 of uh, Sefer Shmos of, of uh, Exodus. And in, in that, um, that Pesach, in that verse, it talks about Amalek. Amalek we know is the enemy of the Jewish people. And Amalek is not just a, a nation that wars against us, um, but it's a, it's a negative spiritual force which tries to un- undermine us and block us in all of our endeavors. And so Amalek is is very um, connected to, on a spiritual level, to to the yetsahara, to the evil inclination. Okay, And um, it says that as long as a is in the world, this is what this verse says in, in, in the Torah, as long as a is in the world, that it's blocking out the full revelation of godliness. In other words, God is always here and God is always complete. But nonetheless, as long as there's exile and as long as there's still evil in the world, it covers over godliness. And so the revelation of godliness, our, our ability to fully appreciate the, the majesty of God and the perfection of God is obscured by the evil that exists. And this is symbolized by the fact that Amalek is still around. It hasn't been wiped out yet. The Nazis are Amalek. The the, the crazy fundamentalist uh, Islamists are, 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 are the energy of Amalek. This is all, any intolerance and hatred is all, is all this energy of of Amalek, okay? So when it's discussing this war against Amalek, the name of God is referenced, but only the letters Yud and He. All right, so the full name of God with the Vav and the He at the end, which if you remember, if you go back to our chart, right, and you want to build from top to bottom, if you just have Yud and He, well, it doesn't reach down into this world. So, so godliness, so to speak, if you're only spelling God's name with Yud and hay, the full revelation, especially in these dimensions, is not fully revealed. So, of course, evil doesn't exist in the higher dimension. So that's why you even have the Yud and the hay there, okay? Okay. So now, I told you that God's name is a verb. The Yudke Vavke, this name of God, right? The Tetragrammaton, right? What they refer to as the ineffable name of God, what the Kain Gadol, the high priest of Israel would pronounce once a year in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, right? The holiest man in the, on the holiest day in the holiest place, right? All of reality can be boiled down to three components, time, space, and soul. So you have the highest soul on the highest day in the highest place all coming together at this moment to pronounce this name of God. All right? And, um, and and this name of God is a contraction of three words. Haya, which means was. Hove, which means is. And Yihieh, which means will be. So was, is, and will be. The Yud and He and Vav and He are all, it's a contraction of these three words, meaning to say, was, is, and will be are the verb forms of basically eternity or infinity. Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver makes an important distinction for us. He says that when you think of eternity in terms of God, we tend to think of eternity as the endless expanse of time but God is beyond the dimension of time. So so don't think of God as just eternal, because if you do, you're time-bounding him. He's beyond that, okay? So when we say that God's name, the Yudke Vavke, is a contraction of was, is, and will be, that just doesn't mean that he's forever within the dimensions of time. It means he's beyond time as well. He's infinite, okay? Now, Something very interesting. Since the yud ke vav ke is a contraction of these three words, was, is, and will be are only spelled with three letters, yud and he and vav, right? Because the last letter, hey, we already have a he. So yud, hey, and vav, you spell all three of these words with these three letters. Now listen to what the Jikovar Rebbe says, okay? He says you can spell the word haya, was, with just the letters yud and he. You can spell the word will be, ye, ye with just the letters yod and he. But right now, you need the vav to spell hove, to express God's presence in the world right now. You need the word, the letter vav, to spell is, hove. And what did we just say? That while Amalek is here, you don't have the letters Vav and He. That evil obscures the revelation in this world and it takes the lower letters and casts them away. So that's why that verse in the Torah, when it's talking about the war of Amalek, God's name is only referred to with the letters Yud and He. In other words, Amalek is blocking the letter Vav. And the jikover Rebbe is making a phenomenal psychological insight right now. He says, in order to spell the present tense, you need this letter Vov that Amalek is wiping out. Let me make it 100% clear. You see, a person will say, you know what? Look, the world came from someplace. I mean, this world, anyone who's, I think, honest and intellectual will say to themselves, this world has to have had a creator. I mean, if they think deeply about it long enough, I mean, the, the, the classic, classic Torah is that someone sees beautiful calligraphy, a poem written in beautiful calligraphy and someone reads it and they're aghast at the beauty of how did you put these words together and these thoughts and the, the writing itself is so elegant and magisterial. How'd you do it? And the person says, well, my, my well of ink just fell over and it spilled on the page and it made this poem. Would anyone who's honest believe such a thing? Would I mean, could you even begin to believe such a thing? So that's this world. This world didn't, the, the beauty of this world <laughs> didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. And if you truly believe in randomness, then it would just keep on changing. All the beautiful things would just change, right? Like, oh, that's a beautiful shade of the blue uh, of of the sky. But now it's this like deep, yucky color, you know? Did you ever see kids who finger paint? And it's like they combine all the colors, and it's sort of like, that is one ugly color. (laughs) You know, it's like, again, it was blue over there and red over there and yellow. That, That was good. But you made a real muddle there. That just doesn't look good. I'm sorry, you know. So it's like it's like it's not just that that the that the world is is beautiful, but all that beauty stays constant. And if you're into this whole idea that no, 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 it evolved to this place. Oh, it just evolved to beauty and then it just stopped, right? Mm-hmm. As though it has an aesthetic sense because it can all be utility. Right? Because then we'd have like our mouths on our elbows. Why, you know, why, should I, why, why should I have to lift the food to my mouth? Why haven't I evolved that I can just put my elbow on the plate and save <laughs> myself the effort? You know, there's a, there's a sense of aesthetics that's, that's built into the system that, that, that sort of like wipes out this purely utilitarian view of things. And it has to be accounted for. So, so anyway, so, so you can spell was, haya, with just the letters yud and he. Remember, Amalek is t- uh, taking out the vav, the here and now, because you need the vav to spell hove, the here and now. But Amalek makes a concession to you. You want to say that God created the world? Okay, you can say God created the world. Okay, it's fine. No issues with that. Ye, the future, you can also spell with the yud and hey. Amalek grants you that concession also. You want to say that humanity is eventually going to get it together? Mashiach's going to come. You want to be spiritual? All right, I'll give you that. But without the vav, you can't say God is with me right now in my life. And you know something? In the deepest level, all there is is right now. And if you can't say that God is with you right now, that you don't have a relationship with God right now, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. And Amalek is taking away that letter vav. And what is vav? Vav in Hebrew means connection. It means that relationship with God. Amalek is coming and it's taking away the vav. It's taking away the ability for a person to say, because like I said, all we have is right now. Technically speaking, in a very bizarre way, the world can be understood as only lasting for one second. How how do you figure? And my life is only one second. How do you figure? Because as soon as the moment is over, it's the past. It's not anymore. And the future hasn't happened yet. So my whole life is actually just a sequence and a series of now, 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 now. And if all your life can be boiled down to that one second, that one now, which is Hoveh, and you don't have the love to utilize the now of the moment, then what do you have? What does a person have? That's the jik of Rebbe. Amazing insight. Amazing insight. And it tells us the the urgency, the absolute urgency of making that connection with God, to be able to have a relationship with God. And probably the the simplest way to do it is just to talk to God. And I'm not saying, okay, now I got to go to shul and then I ah, and then I got to you know go into some house of worship, and then talk to God, and I can't get it together I don't want to go there for whatever reason it's too hard believe me that's that's the last of it. I'm talking about in your car I'm talking about walking to your car, I'm talking about when you're in your kitchen I'm talking about I'm talking about all of the times of the day that that, that that's where it's at you know people sometimes. Wonder and they ask, how can I pray with more intention, with more kavanah? How can I connect more? You know something? As far as I'm concerned, that's the least of it. I mean, you've got 24 hours in the day, right? And you want to know how to make that 10 minutes count? What about the other 23 hours and 50 minutes? (laughs) If you make the other 23 hours and 50 minutes count, believe me, you'll make those 10 minutes when you're in shul count. You know, that that's the real question—not not how do I pray better, just how do I talk to God, like Rebbe Nachman says, like my best friend. And then when a person begins just to—and it says talk, to, just talk to God about whatever is going on. You know, there's a famous story about Rebbe Nachman and his 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 great disciple Reb Noson. In fact, how they met is, is, is it, or how Reb Nosen took Rebbe Nachman on to be his Rebbe is really one of the greatest stories, really, in the world, I think, in my opinion. Reb Nosen was talking with Rebbe Nachman, and they were walking for, I don't know how long, an hour, two hours, whatever it was, and Reb Nosen was just telling him all of his troubles. And Rebbe Nachman was just listening the entire time. And at the end, Rebbe Nachman turned to Rebbe and he said, all these things that you just told me, have you said them to God? Have you told God? And Reb said at that moment, he took on Rebbe Nachman to be his Rebbe. And we have the teachings of Rebbe Nachman because of Rebbe Right? So if you want to know how great that one thing that he said to him was, we wouldn't have Rebbe Nachman without it. I mean, so, so that's the answer for all of us also just to talk to God like he's your friend, like he's your best friend. And then that creates that connection. That's the Vav. And then that's going to be making God real in the here and now. And then once we have that, we begin to wipe away Amalek. Because remember, what's, what's one of the main powers of Amalek? So those, I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Salonim that when it says that Amalek attacked us, it uses the word lecha instead of lechem. Now that's, that's important because lecha is singular and lechem is plural. And since Amalek attacked us as a nation, attacked our nation, it should say it attacked us in the plural, lechem. But it doesn't say that. And of course, the Torah is always very precise. It's trying to teach us something. Torah means to teach. So when it uses variant, Verb forms, it's telling us something very important. So when it says that Amalek attacked us Lecha individually, the Slonim Rebbe says that the way that Amalek comes to a person, this negative spiritual force, the way it attacks us and tries to undermine us is by trying to tell us that we're all alone. Lecha is in the singular. It wants you to think, you know what? You're not Lechem. You're not with a group. You're not part of a community. It's just you. You're all alone. You're just by yourself and no one cares. Right? And so that's why it's taking away the vav. That's why Amalek is taking away the vav of connection. Why it's wiping out the vav in the hay from the name of God. Because it wants us to think we don't have a connection to God. We don't have a connection to other people. We're just by ourselves. But when we Talk to God, then we get the strongest connection in the entire world that's absolutely unbreakable. And we're never alone. We're never alone anyway, existentially. But in the here and now, right? Adding the Dalid to our yud, right? Making it a hey, right? If we can make that that connection with Hashem, then we're never, ever, ever alone. Okay.